Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Q in Charge, the podcast that explores the forefront of innovation in the energy sector. My name is Sergei Marovic, and I am your host for today. We have a very special guest joining us, and his name is David Hughes, entrepreneur and a business owner of several EV charging locations in the United States, a prestige development, a so- business development associate and an expert in operating and optimizing electric vehicle charging stations. He's also involved in the sales and how to strategize and optimize sales. So with no further ado, let us hear from you, David, and uh, welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Sergey. It's uh, my pleasure to be a part of everything that we've got going on. Uh, very much excited. But yes, in short, I own a series of electric car charging stations throughout the United States, uh, featuring over 50 site hosts. I used to own a level three unit in Seattle at the Harvard Market, which was a Blink Craft charging station. That has since been taken over by EVO. So it's much healthier environment for that unit, uh, much more hardy. Um, so with that being said, uh, that's essentially a little bit about myself in terms of EV role, and I'm here at QCharge in sales development. So it's, it's been a great ride so far. So David, let me ask you, how did you tackle um, sales for your ongoing business as a business associate? I mean, you know, being so busy and uh, what strategies do you employ to effectively communicate the value and the benefits of installing the EV charging units to potential customers and your clients? I focus primarily on helping the property owner understand that having electric car charging station increases the spending traffic of A-plus rated consumers to the retail center. Uh, that's a very important approach for you to take in sales development. It's a very important keynote for them to understand. Uh, it's a metric that property owners most relate to versus the overall concept of how much revenue is the charging station itself going to generate. Uh, one of the key pieces of data that I'd like to explain to these property owners is that the average car of the bus is approximately 55 minutes at level two charging station for the old data. This gives the consumer a significant amount of time to take in all the retail center's features that they may not think about previously. Uh, this also supports the metric of higher spending in addition to this, uh, the United States Department of Transportation data shows that level three charging stations are approximately 20 to 30 long, where that is more revenue driving, not just with a fast charging network, but a likelihood of that retail uh, having more families come in because that person is charging uh, at fast charging level three stations on a road trip. It's much more likely. So in that context, we can fail week in revenue, uh, something that will all improve in regards to that foot traffic. In addition to this, EV owners are more likely to spend more money on average than average gas car consumers. Uh, one of the keynote you know, uh, metric examples which David has driven this from, uh, 2022 hedge and company study that the average household income for these electric car drivers are 100000 to $155,000 on average, whereas the uh, general household income is teetering around $55,000 a year. So that's a big metric that I help these prospective site hosts or clients to fully understand when we're going through the development process and working with them to understand 
first steps of faith. This is the overall major benefit that these units are going to bring for you as a product. I would primarily answer that in the respect that a lot of these incentives in terms of uh, lower household incomes, obtaining secondhand electric vehicles is becoming more popular. Uh, for example, in the state of Washington, they're giving uh, zero tax on any used electric vehicle if it's less than $30,000. Um, this is also driving up the, um, I would say, the demographics for rural areas to have more uh, used Teslas, Chevrolet Bolts, Nissan Leafs, uh, where that will drive, I would say, more of the demand for electric car charging stations in rural areas. Um, so it is coming, uh, but I think with the lower household income, a lot of the people need to really uh, understand how cheap and affordable and overall attainable these electric vehicles truly are becoming for the masses. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, how do you navigate between all varieties and the different grants and the rebates available for the EV infrastructure? I mean, we know there is a lot, right? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So the United States Department of Energy on their primary website has a tool which allows uh, users to filter out and search for all types of funding available uh, through private as well as public entities depending on whichever state that they're searching in. Um, typically, when I'm looking for a prospective client, I generally review all the available funding options against the prospective project type. Uh, this way, I can make a good determination if there is any available funding for the site project that we can apply for. Um, and we look at, you know, are it a low-income community, is it a disadvantaged community, or is it a rural area community? Because these locations have a huge tendency to have uh, more funding available for them, or at least prioritize, you know, that said demographic. David, speaking about all uh, these, um, what we just uh, tackled, right? Uh, can you uh, share on examples of unique or lesser-known uh, incentives that um, has positively impacted the customer decisions? Yeah. I think one of the lesser known aspects is again kind of going to relate back to your initial question. What about the low income uh, individuals in obtaining electric vehicles? Yeah, exactly. There's a substantial amount of funding available for rural communities. Uh, one of the biggest aspects for this rural community that really goes on overlooked is when people or property owners in these areas, excluding Walmart or uh, what's other sort of called Dollar General, for example. These institutions typically have more liquidity to take advantage of these rebate programs. Most of these rebate programs for rural area communities you know, are only 80% um, coverage, or at max I've seen in, in my career thus far, is about 90% coverage. Uh, but with that being said, that's where you know individual uh, city grants, or it's, it, it's a prospect where I'll tell a prospective client, look, you are in a low-income area, you're in a rural community zone as well, so you qualify as a disadvantaged community or a DAC. And what we can do is take this prospective site project, and we can take it to your city hall, and hopefully, you know, explain to them, hey, this is the extra traffic that's going to drive. Because you're in a DAC in a low-income community, this will drive prospective individuals who are now able to afford second-hand electric vehicles to utilize the tax incentives that the state's offering to get electric cars, which will develop, right, that uh, demographic-based ecosystem for electric vehicles. So you can oftentimes take that, you know, DAC incentive, which is, again, it's very overlooked, lesser known, and bring it to the city and say, let's take advantage of this. 
let's utilize you know this aspect as a means of setting an example and this will enable the city as well to make that you know overall argument potentially to the department of energy uh in the senate hearings to create more funding for their zones um so that's kind of more of a, a larger approach and understanding but that, that's i would say the best uh, way you can understand the lesser known aspect of incentives that people really should start focusing on more we all know uh, that there are pros and cons of uh, various of uh, charging units what is the specific features or um, functionalities uh, do you relay uh, down to your customers uh, to ensure to so they're going to make an uh, informed and a proper choice aligned with their needs yeah, that's a, another great question you're full of them today right um i would i would definitely emphasize a downtime for the units for sure we we look at the i would say prime examples of link network and uh, we look at evgo and we look at uh, volta a little bit in addition to you know the the crown jewel uh which is electrify america with the most fast charging stations throughout the united states so utilizing them as i would say the marquee for the ev fast charging industry we look at software software is the biggest issue right that electric car owners face unknowingly when they go to the charger and for these prospective landowners i i really help them understand look for our products we have zero downtime which enables our software to trigger a zero downtime revenue loss protection feature and that's really what i try and get our prospective clients to fully understand there are a ton of units that you could buy i mean heck you could buy them uh, property uh, sorry property owners can buy you know charging stations on amazon they could buy it even on ebay but the downfall that a lot of them have really isn't necessarily the hardware aspect right you can get rfid integrated you can get you know remote access integrated but it's the software um so i would say the biggest con a lot of these people are facing is the software metric but for me i really overcome that by pushing the q charge platform which again has the uh, triggered zero downtime software featuring revenue loss protection and so i would i would say i'd more so focus on the software versus the hardware uh, because statistically there's a higher chance when a unit that a landowner owns is down it's due to the actual software and you know i help them fully understand when a station's out of order um it's a circumstance where the software will automatically set the hardware to default free use and with that default use mode those charging uh, sessions will continue the electric car owner that maybe just moved into town and they're driving around on the weekend to determine the most reliable level 2s or fast charging stations will get there and see hey this is actually working this is pretty consistent but you know unknown to them that the software is down but the unit is still being available which is the most important part in addition to this i help the prospective client completely understand the full scope of uh the revenue loss protection if the unit has triggered into a default free mode be due to an issue with the software this will enable huge charge to cover any type of lost revenue from free charging sessions um so when we look at what's currently on the market uh, i don't really focus too much on hardware because hardware always changes um it's the core principles of software that's out there that is really similar to the hardware it's all the same 
But unfortunately, because it's all the same, there hasn't been a pioneer besides QCharge to really come out on top with that, you know, default scenario when their software goes afraid, which is which is really what is causing the most unreliability throughout all networks of fast charging stations and level two charging stations throughout the United States. So that's that's primarily where I focus on. I, I really want to emphasize on that the most. The software is key. The most effective manner that I've deployed is subscribing to the United States Department of Energy notifications. Um, in addition to this, uh, we're all prevalent with NEVI at this time uh, through the um, individual states NEVI platform, as well as planning for um, alternative fuel structure corridors that they're designating high priority. You can sign up for email notifications for those funding opportunities for each individual state. In addition to this, I would say every single state's primary um, PUD or you know electrical uh, supplier, for example, uh, we have Port General Electric here or Puget Sound Energy up north. You can subscribe to any electric vehicle service equipment or charging station incentive uh, funding programs, and you can get an email directly to you. It'll give you a quick synopsis of what types of you know designated grantees they're really looking forward to issuing a award to. Um, so that, that's the best way. Good old-fashioned email notification subscription. That's how I really leverage staying up to date. And, you know, it's really important for the smaller uh, companies to be first and, you know, to be smarter. Uh, it's a circumstance where, where a lot of the people aren't like the big guys that have that cheap leverage of we've got more names, we've got more uh, liquidity in terms of marketing capital. Um, so, yeah, being first to the punch really helps, Matt. That's how you can do it. So, David, would you mind sharing with us um, innovative approach uh, or partnerships you have pursued to maximize the accessibility and affordability of EV infrastructure through the grants and the rebates. Yeah, definitely. Yes, um, I would say when you're looking to win a grant for funding, attempt to seek a partner that may need funding for an electric vehicle. Um, that's a, it's a very unique approach, which is very effective. Projects that have the most impact and stitch partnerships and other grant opportunities together typically have a higher chance of being awarded in many instances. Um, you know, as an example, I'll use Daimler. So Daimler is Mercedes-Benz. They own Freightliner, right? Very large brand. Oh, yeah. uh, they got an award with Portland General Electric to build what is now called uh, the Electric Island in Portland, Oregon. Electric Island it hosts nine fast charging stations uh, built for electric semi-truck and, and consumer passenger cars, so it's a hybrid setup. Uh, they partnered with several large businesses such as um, UPS as well as Penske to help them receive uh, supplemental funding for their electric truck. This partnership ultimately allowed the issuing institutions uh, that they were trying to get the funding awarded for uh, for the trucks and chargers, right? So they came to Portland General Electric, they came to Pacific Power, uh, and they went through the California HVIP uh, grant program and said, look, this is our goal, this is how we can work together, these are the funding types that we uh, really need in order for this to become doable for us. And both of the firms uh, had a great rollout. They were awarded the funding that they needed from the California HVIP in addition to Portland General Electric and Pacific Power, and to this day, Electric Island, I mean, I charge my castle there with a DPS adapter, 
um, it is wonderful. You'll get perfect to semi trucks as well as you know again charging a Tesla there where you'll be Bolt or uh, Nissan Leafs uh, or Porsche Taycans or even the um, uh, what was it Mustang Mach-E, right? So that is the best approach if you can take you know partnerships or organizations in the area that are also potentially applying for other things. You can see where uh, you can partner together to develop more of a demand and give your project you know, a, a unique synergy that makes the grant graders say, this really will help lead the change. So how do you address common concerns or misconceptions of the customers may have regarding the installation and um, long-term viability of uh, EV charging units? Uh, we know this is, uh, currently we have a lot of issues on going on. Yeah. Uh, it's a circumstance where I would say, you know, with the electric vehicle being on the uprising, stay informed. You know, if you are curious or you have some type of misconception about electric vehicles, uh, reach out to an owner if you see one parking and charging. We love to talk about the cars. Uh, I, I enjoy having strangers walk up to me and say, how long does it take to charge? Where do you charge to go on a road trip? And I'll tell them, sit in the driver's seat and you know, press the button or type in the, the keypad any destination. And in just that second, they realize this is a lot easier it, for them to personally adopt than they may have perceived, uh, in addition to site hosts, helping them really understand that core metric of the overall ROI being very minuscule. When you look at you know, prospect federal tax incentives, uh, for rebates for people that have high tax liabilities, that's very important for them. In addition to uh, retail centers that are really on the fence, getting them in your pipeline before the government funding comes out is really important because this way you can build up your project data for that prospective client. And when the funding is eligible uh, for their project to obtain, at that time everything's ready, they became well-versed, and you can hopefully win that award because you have the time that you needed to get prepared for them to also say, great, I fully understand that ROI. And that ROI is going to be very minuscule. So when that funding comes out, I'm, I'm okay, you know, seeing that 20% or that 10% that they make. I simplify it and I just try and utilize the metric that EV owners will drive up revenue for their retail stores. That, that's just the telltale all, right? If they understand the spending habits of these individuals, they understand the long-term growth value to keep anchor tenants at the retail stores, uh, to understand uh, this core aspect is really critical. So ultimately, in the end, if the site post is a good location, I will try to offer a lease to own uh, or site post with buyout option if we can, if they can't obtain financing, uh, worst case, or if there are no available rebates or funding opportunities, this allows you know us to take a I would say a unique approach to allow them to see how the unit gains traction over time that this investment is worthwhile, right? You give them the option to buy it out again. Um, in addition to this, if we can get a rebate, what we will often do uh, is explain to them, look, this reduces your overall ROI. That's the biggest one as well. In a company to the higher spend volume of these a-plus uh, rated consumer, your ROI in some cases could be a year. You're only having to cover 10% you know, of the overall cost. 
before, but only happens probably 20% of the time. Um, so those are some key metrics that I really bring up. A lot of these people, they're masters, especially in the real estate game. You know, uh, they, they don't really, you know, um, have a huge fancy on the charger itself, but it's more so, you know, what's the overall ROI, how quickly can I earn money back, how So, again, a lot of my answers to these questions are really focusing on how much money the station actually makes, because really that, that metric isn't what's going to give you a fast ROI. Oh, yeah. Um, helping them understand that overall metric in terms of uh, how quickly their ROI will be is, is the biggest concern to overcome for them. So if I'm not mistaken, uh, rebates and grants can help elevate these concerns of the customers and clients that they might have, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, helping them understand any rebates that are available is big, but really, you have to be concise, right? You package that into a simple, you know, presentation or one pager that just amplifies the ROI. That that's what they really care about. They're all number-driven men and women, so they completely understand the ROI. If they have an 80% rebate, and this is how much the average electric car owner is going to spend, and this is how many average sessions you'll have per day at that site based off of that uh, demographic location that helps speed it up. And again, you, you take the core focus off of how much do these level two charging stations really earn? Uh, it's not much. So that's where you don't, you kind of want to avoid that elephant in the room because it, it, it's, if somebody jumps into the context of the misconception where they say, well, I heard that these charging stations earn $10,000 a month in terms of level two. Well, that's where you're setting yourself up as representing trying to get them off stale, fail. You want to take them away, completely dodge that question, and simply answer that without talking about the actual revenue of the unit and get down to the ROI from the average electric car spending more money, show them that data, and give them a simple backdrop with your ROI and your demographic. Because this rebate's coming 80%, you're only going to have to wait you know, a year based off the available data to recoup your overall investment. So that that's the key metric. That that monthly income is a very minuscule. Very, very minuscule. So can you give us a short thoughts about um, what are some of the key lessons learned or best practices for the businesses or individuals seeking to optimize their EV infrastructure through the EV grants and the rebates? Yeah, great question. Uh, I would say the number one lesson is not hire just anyone. Uh, that's the biggest thing. I would say a lot of um, prospective property owners, you need to find a company that overall is a one-stop shop that can sell you the charger, the software, and installation services in addition to applying for these incentives for you. Again, we have to you know, understand the core aspect that as a property owner or a prospective station owner, you don't want to put yourself in, a, uh, I would say, in a pickle where this is the time for you to apply for these rebates or these grant funding opportunities to install a charging station. And this also, right, be the first time you write a proposal in response to an RP. Uh, it's not a good idea. It, it's very intensive. It's very detailed oriented. Um, so I, I always... Yeah, I always stress uh, the, the key lessons overall that I relate to everyone and the best practices uh, seeking to optimize these 
uh, installation services through grants and rebates is to get a one-stop shop provider. Uh, and you know, here at Fucharge, we are that one-stop provider for many houses. How do you collaborate with the local government agencies, utilities, and um, other stakeholders to streamline the process of accessing the grants and rebates, ensuring the smoother experience for your customers and clients? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we have an in-house team uh, that is capable of reviewing all of these solicitations through local cities, in addition to government-level RFPs. Um, a lot of that analysis process consists of understanding, you know, is it the DAC community, is it, you know, a LAC community. In addition to this, you know, how many people are going to be employed by the station development through this project. Um, so I would say that the nitty-gritty part of it, um, it's really, I would say, the devil's in the details of that solicitation RFP. And traditionally, these documents could bear 150 pages to 400 pages long. And your proposal response is typically condensed down to maybe 65, 70 pages, word over word, of course. Uh, but it's a situation where if you're missing too many things, uh, the graders of, for these proposals that you're preparing to respond to these RFPs with, uh, they will dock you points. You know, it, it's a situation where uh, a good friend of mine was applying for funding for a site project, and the purpose of this project was to reduce the overall cost of transportation for state farmers, right? And they were going to be utilizing a fast charging network that was going to be paid for by these grants potentially that they would deploy with their electric semi truck, right? And they loved the concept of the grant graders, but they said you didn't do the right formatting, so literally the correct thought. Uh, line spacing, uh, and in addition to this, they didn't do a zip folder. Instead, they just did a PDF. Um, so accompanied by other points that they were docked off of, those are some of the key things that worked against them in that grading process, which ultimately led to the failure of their uh, proposal application being awarded funding. Um, so it, it's very meticulous, and if you don't have the right team involved, uh, you will spend hours, uh, I mean, a colleague and I, uh, Judith, we've been working for quite a while on a grant proposal uh, for South Carolina, and we had our review tech take a look at it and say, hey, we're missing this, this, and this, right? So, so even to this day, it's a situation where I'm great at preparing them, but with you don't have the right team like we do that can look over everything before submission, you know, those little things won't get caught and it could ultimately cost you, you know, the whole project in general. If you're, again, a DAC or low-income community, you're depending on this funding uh, to get that unit in the ground. And if you have to wait five more years for that opportunity, uh, that, you know, of course, that can be very damaging. So it's very important you have the right team first. David, looking forward ahead, what trends are changes do you anticipate in the realm of grants and rebates will happen? Yeah, yeah. So I would ultimately say uh, the major government incentives should probably peak by 2027 when NEVI and supplemental funding ends. You know, a lot of the funding, we'll look at Maine, through their NEVI, they developed a subgrant, uh, which is through FON funding, uh, and that I would say for a lot of states that do that supplemental funding will so probably get... Let me ask you, like, let me just cut in on this one. So on uh, 2027, as you said that the Navy um, and the supplemental funds are ending, is that already set stone? Yeah, that is correct. So 
through the Volkswagen settlement, uh, which is what ultimately birthed the $7.5 billion funding package uh, for the NEVI platforms for each state. For example, say Texas is receiving $86 million uh, for just the year of 2023 alone. Um, it's a circumstance where they also, through that settlement, deployed uh, what was the Electrify America, which is owned by Volkswagen, right? So that ultimately was the core objective of the Biden administration to deploy thousands of fast charging stations in a short amount of time. That was also the core objective to get states the funding that they needed to really bolster any types of incentives, you know, zero tax if you're low income to buy an electric vehicle, uh, free installation, uh, for example, Puget Sound Energy, they will give you a free charging station if you have an electric car uh, and you're low income, right? So a lot of these incentive programs will peak uh, without question by 2027 just because the funding will be done at that time in terms of uh, the meat of the bone. However, I would say state-level funding will virtually be completed uh, by 2020, sorry, 2035 is my assumption. If you look at the state of Washington, uh, Jay Inslee, he's echoed that he wants all new sales of electric vehicles, uh, to, uh, gas vehicles banned, and just the electric vehicles uh, by in the 2030s, uh, in addition to the state of California, right? That was a major announcement. Um, so I feel by that time, uh, get into the late 2020s, a lot more people are going to be you know, ushering out their gas vehicles for secondhand electric vehicles, taking advantage of those local state credits uh, in terms of tax incentives, in addition to federal incentives. So I think as we get towards you know, 2035, everybody's going to pretty much have something with the plug. You know, maybe it's not fully electric, but you've got something that requires a plug. And so in that context, any funding that's available uh, after that time will be very minor, right? It, it'll be maybe, hey, we'll give you a $100 rebate or we'll give you a $200 rebate for buying an electric car. But the last thing I'll mention on that note, and just kind of doubling down as to why I am you know, giving that guidance by 2035, which is pretty much completed, um, it's a circumstance where you look at individual states in Washington. They already charge electric car owners a base rate of, I believe it's $145 or $250 per year just for owning an electric car. So they are looking at other means They've been doing this for a while uh, on how to collect that lost revenue from gas tax, right? Um, so looking at that data, it's it's fairly practical to say that the era of the electric vehicle will be this decade and pretty much phased out, you know, again, uh, by 2035, that major funding. I'm not saying all funding is done, but we will probably never see funding like what we're seeing right now this summer. Last question to you, since we are getting towards the end of today's episode. So how do you foresee these incentives evolving to further promote widespread adoption in this industry? Yeah. So, you know, I, I get this question a lot and I try to best perfect the answer for when I speak to people like Jay Inslee or Kate Brown. Um, we need to make sure that these federal incentives um, be, are being echoed from the state level to the people that are writing these federal incentives to start covering 100% of these projects to overall meet this administration's goals on time. 
you you call you know a lot of these states that are rolling out their NEVI programs, right? And you talk to them about last year's performance, and they'll explain to you, well, it's fairly lackluster considering we didn't get as many applications as we thought we were going to receive. And you'll receive some feedback from some states saying we received an overwhelming amount of applications, such as the state of Kentucky. Uh, this was some dialogue I had with Ms. Hogan, their procurement representative, their name. And she said, we were inundated with applications last year. However, so many of them just didn't qualify because they submitted proposals to our RFP that weren't within spec. So it, it shows that there was lack of resources, professional resources, like what we offer here at QCharge, to help these individual rural community members or priority zone uh, transportation corridors to actually get this funding appropriately. So I would say the key things that really need uh, to happen, which will probably happen eventually if someone doesn't just get to the point for the government officials who are writing this funding, that 100% of the projects need to be funded. They need to reduce uh, the requirements for the applications. They need to streamline uh, the response options for these proposals, such as maybe having it to where you are a state and you uh, unveil your RFP option or your state's NEVI. The response form, instead of a blank canvas proposal sheet, right, that all of us have to fill out and craft, should be a form you fill out online, right? It should be a uniform form that every person fills out online. They can upload their you know, site surveys, their uh, target post pictures, and all of that data uh, through attachment features online, and they can simply submit it. This enables this, the United States uh, current presidential administration to achieve the goal of rolling out you know, thousands of fast charging stations through this government funding. Uh, and actually have a practical way of getting these chargers in the locations that need it the most. You know, we don't need the big players in rural areas like Dollar General, Hy-Vee, uh, Publix, and Keebs, those people that have, you know, property owners that have substantial funds that shouldn't be using this government funding, right, to obtain these units. So I, I, I foresee it to being uh, a circumstance where they're pretty much going to learn as they go. And I feel that there will be a lot of funding left when everything's supposed to be done, which is, again, why I mentioned I feel that it's going to definitely trickle out a little bit into 2035, maybe 2036, because so much of the feedback you get from the state procurement representatives is we get a lot of applications or people don't apply enough, but the end result is the amount of awards they're making, the meat of the bone, it's not sufficient keep up your target goals. Uh, so that that would be my answer to the question, long version, short version, at the interest. We all know these days you probably in some um, area companies we have to wait for about, what, year and a half, some instances even to two years before they can even come out actually to provide uh, necessary power on demand to actually support your infrastructure that you need. Yeah, that is, that is a really good one as well, yes. And that, that's a good part of closing statement is that a lot of these uh, locations, we were working uh, as a team on a truck stop location, and the only power rating that they could hold was a 60 kilowatt fast charging station, where that's really insufficient for today's time. Uh, you've got uh, the Porsche Taycan that can pull up to 250 kilowatt. Uh, Rolls-Royce just started delivering the Rolls-Royce Spectre 
320 mile electric car capable of 250 kilowatt, right? So 60 kilowatt uh, units just are not going to suffice any longer. So having the utilities be able to roll out a bigger platform uh, to, I would say, support the overall power pool needed to quickly charge these cars is really important. Uh, but yeah. That will be all for today's episode. Thank you, David, for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you and uh, to share some of your insight and knowledge you possess uh, on this uh, type of industry and in, in this uh, field of uh, grants and the rebates. Thank you very much again. Yeah, no, again, thank you very much for having me on board. And it's, it's been great making wonderful progress. Thank you for tuning in and listening and stay tuned for more. We will have definitely more updates, shared stories and articles to your convenience of a click. And don't forget to subscribe. Until the next time.